Doctrine of Christ, seeing the scriptures with new eyes. First Nephi chapter 13. So in this chapter, Nephi is given a vision of the nations of the Gentiles. And he sees the book that comes with the Gentiles over into America, into the promised land. And we, of course, know that that book is the Bible. And when that book proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew, according to 23, behold, it proceeded out of the mouth of a Jew, and I, Nephi, beheld it. He said unto me, The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews, which contains the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many prophecies of the holy prophets, and it is a record like unto the engravings, which are upon the plates of brass. Save there are not so many. Nevertheless, they contain the covenants of the Lord. That's important. The covenants of the Lord are in that record, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. Wherefore, they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. So the Bible, when it first was written by a Jew and was going to the Gentiles, was pure and contained those correct covenants. Unfortunately, the formation of the great and abominable church by the devil When the people who ran that church got a hold of it, they corrupted it. Verse 26, And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the land, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away the gospel of the Lamb, many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. What did they take out of there? The covenants, yes, but many parts that are plain and precious of the gospel. In this context, the gospel is referring to the doctrine of Christ. The steps of ascension, they've altered it. They removed steps completely. Nobody knows what that covenant is anymore. And because they removed those things, what happens? Verse 29, and after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters which thou hast seen with the Gentiles, which have gone forth out of captivity, thou seest because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God. How many more times can he say plain? That's because the doctrine of Christ is plain. It is easy to understand and comprehend and decide if it is for you or not. And the great and abominable church took that plainness right out of the Bible. Because of these things which are taken out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceedingly great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. Well, yeah, they have the Bible. You know the people that started this country had the Bible. And that was crucial that they had the Bible. But because they didn't have the full gospel or the full doctrine of Christ, they were unable to enter the covenant and receive the fullness of the blessings that the Lord had in mind to share with all of us. Now the Lord knew that this would happen. And when speaking to Nephi, he said, Look, I'm going to be merciful to the Gentiles. I'm going to speak to your people, Nephi, and you're going to write those covenants and those truths of the doctrine of Christ that are removed from the Bible, and they're going to be in your record. And then that record will come forth among the Gentiles. 
And that record will contain the many plain and precious parts that were removed. And we have that in the Book of Mormon today. Now I want to talk about what are some examples that have been removed from the Bible that are plain and precious and pure in the Book of Mormon and in the things that Joseph Smith restored to us. The main covenant that was removed was the new and everlasting covenant. And how do, what, what do people think that the new and everlasting covenant is today? Well, we can get an idea of that in Genesis chapter 9, 8 through 17. And what this describes is after the flood, the Lord telling Noah that he put the rainbow in the cloud to symbolize something. Now, if I asked most people, what did that symbolize? They would say, as you can read in these scriptures, that the Lord will no longer ever destroy the world by flood again. Down here in verse 15, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. If all you have is the Bible, you would think that the new and everlasting covenant with the rainbow as the sign is just the Lord saying, I won't destroy the world by flood anymore. Thankfully, Joseph Smith restored the true meaning of these verses. And this is found in the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 9, verses 21 through 25. Okay. Verse 21, and the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant, which I made unto thy father Enoch, that men, when, when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth. This is night and day difference from the covenant of the bow talked about in just the regular Bible. The covenant that the Lord was meaning to tell us about was that when we keep his commandments, that Zion should come again. That's the new and everlasting covenant. Let's continue. And this is my everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward. What does it mean to embrace the truth and look upward? It is to grab a hold of the doctrine of Christ, look up to the Lord, and accept him as our Savior, and follow his commandments. Then Zion shall look back down towards us. Verse 23, And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth, and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant. This is second comfort, second comforter language in its finest. What is the search for Zion? It is the search to have the Lord be back among us. It is when we came to this earth, we were taken out of the presence of the Lord, but he promises us a way to come back into his presence. And that's by looking to him and following his commandments. And then we can be on the path to return to him. This is the new and everlasting covenant that was removed from the Old Testament. But again, it was restored, thankfully, in the Joseph Smith translation. What is another example of a covenant or a part of the doctrine of Christ that was removed? Well, here's another, here's another big one. 
the three lost Beatitudes. If you've read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, it's wonderful. Again, it's the commandments from the Lord, all the steps that we need to take in order to come back into his presence. But there's three very important steps that were removed from the Bible, and they were restored in the Book of Mormon. And we can see them in 3 Nephi chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which the Lord gives a very similar sermon um, as the Sermon on the Mount. But he includes the first three Beatitudes that were lost. Verse 1, Blessed are ye if you shall believe in me and be baptized after you have seen me and know that I am. Verse 2, and again, more blessed are they who shall believe in your words because they shall testify that you have seen me and that you know that I am. Blessed are they who shall believe in your words and come down into the depths of humility and be baptized, for they shall be visited with fire and with the Holy Ghost and shall receive a remission of sins. This is the doctrine of Christ. This is how we come back to the Lord. This part of the Beatitudes that was lost in the Bible, thankfully, is restored. We have to come unto Christ, be baptized by water, and if we come to him in the depths of humility, then he will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Now, let's move on. Back to 1 Nephi chapter 13, verse 37. This verse contains the entire doctrine of Christ, all the steps. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion. What did it say in, when we talked about Genesis in the Joseph Smith translation? When those who look for Zion, when they look up to Zion and Zion will look down at them. Blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day. For they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the first comforter. And if they endure unto the end... They shall be lifted up at the last day. Endure unto the end is doctrine of Christ language. And shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. That is another way of saying receive their second comforter. And who shall, whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be. You see the whole circle here in this one chapter. First Nephi 13. The Lord from the very beginning... Very beginning, offered the new and everlasting covenant to everybody that was on the earth. Unfortunately, you know, that was written in purity. That covenant was written in purity, but it was removed by the great and abominable church. But it has been replaced with the help of Joseph Smith and with the help of the Book of Mormon. It is crucial if you are a seeker of Zion that you understand the full doctrine of Christ. What does it mean to seek Zion? It is if you are a person that seeks to have the Lord back among us. If you, you know, are ready to enter the covenant and fulfill your part of the oath so that he can make his two promises, that he can return and you can see him again face to face. So tonight we're going to go through it. I'm going to teach you, Using the scriptures, how to find the doctrine of Christ. Let me use five verses. And the majority of these are in 2 Nephi chapter 31. We talk about it a lot. It's a wonderful chapter. 
The best chapter in the Book of Mormon to understand the doctrine of Christ is 3 Nephi chapter 11. It's the Lord himself who teaches it. But before we get to that chapter, I want to use Nephi's teachings to break down the steps of the doctrine of Christ so that we'll know how to analyze 3 Nephi chapter 11 better. So in 3 Nephi or 2 Nephi chapter 31 verse 11. And Father said, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. We don't hear the words of Father often in Scripture, but these come directly from our Heavenly Father. Repent and be baptized. Two steps of the doctrine of Christ. Next verse, chapter 12. And also the voice of the Son came unto me. So we've heard the voice of the Father, and now we hear the voice of the Son. And I want to make a note here that the doctrine of Christ is taught by the Father, the voice of the Father, the voice of the Son, the voice of the Spirit, and the voice of His true and authorized servants. And more often than not, His true authorized servants tell you where they received the words of the doctrine of Christ from, whether it was an angel, whether it was the Father, whether it was the voice of the Son. So Nephi has already heard from Father and now the Son. He that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Wherefore, follow me and do the things which you have seen me do. So we've added two more components of the doctrine of Christ. Follow him. Repent. Be baptized. And receive the Holy Ghost. Next scripture. Verse 13, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following your Lord and your Savior down in the water, according to his word, behold, then shall ye receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Then can you speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Now we have follow him, repent ye, and this baptism is clarified to be the baptism of water. And you distinguish that from the first comforter or baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost, which is called the first comforter. Now it doesn't call it the first comforter in this verse, but if you turn to Moroni 8.26, you can find that where I get that from. So Moroni 8, chapter 8, verse 26. And this is another verse, Moroni 8, 26, that contains the full doctrine of Christ. And the remission of sins bringeth meekness and loneliness of heart. And because of meekness and loneliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love which love endureth by diligence under prayer until the end shall come when all the saints shall dwell with God. So the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is another way to describe the first comforter. Next verse. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if you shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, Behold, thus saith the Father, you shall have eternal life. We now have all of the all of the different components of the doctrine of Christ, which is great. Baptism or 
Hold on, this thing's blocking me. Follow him, repent ye, baptism of water, first comforter, endure to the end, and second comforter. Now, in this verse, it says eternal life. How do I know that eternal life is the second comforter? Well, that's not, it's not supposed to be Moroni 88. It's Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, tells us what eternal life is. So when you're trying to understand the doctrine of Christ throughout the scriptures, you got to understand that the key words for each of the steps, they use them interchangeably with five, six different words and phrases. So you have to get comfortable with each one of those words and phrases to understand which component they're talking about. So most often in the Book of Mormon, when they're referring to the second comforter, they're calling it eternal life. And what is it, how do we know eternal life is second comforter? Again, that's in Doctrine and Covenants 88, verses 3 through 4. Wherefore, and I send upon you another comforter, even upon you, my friends, that it may abide in your hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise, which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples, as is recorded in the testimony of John. This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. So we now have the six components, but I want to go through one last verse to simplify them down into four. And that's from 3 Nephi 9.20. And this is the Lord speaking, you know, to all the people that remained after the great destruction. And the Lord was talking to them about why they were destroyed. And he was talking to them about the people that, you know, in times past, they thought that they would offer up their sacrifices and their burnt offerings. And the Lord said, he doesn't want any of that. None of that matters. All that matters is that you offer up unto him a broken heart and contrite spirit. Now, why I love this verse, I'll read it. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Why I love this is because everything that we had on our list before the first comforter is all contained in broken heart and contrite spirit. So that's the four steps. That's the final four steps. Broken heart and contrite spirit, first comforter, endure to the end, second comforter. Now let's put all of these together in the doctrine of Christ. Like I said, these are the four main steps to enter into the covenant. This is our part as we offer the Lord a broken heart and contrite spirit. But there's many ways to describe that throughout the scriptures. That's come unto Christ. That's anything referring to faith, anything about repentance, anything about baptism of water, anything about offering up your whole souls as an offer, offering, meekness, lowliness of heart. Coming unto him as a child. That's all the language of the first step. Of us breaking our heart and making our spirit contrite. That's our part of how we enter into the covenant. That's the oath that we make. Is that we will offer that to the Lord. Now there are a lot of different words to describe that first step. But there are even more to describe the first comforter. I've listed a few here. Baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, redemption, cleansed from sin, entering the gate. The Lord and Nephi both use entering the gate 
many times. Charity, receiving an endowment of charity, being referred to as the elect or sons and daughters of Christ. Anytime you see this kind of language in the scriptures, you're seeing one of the prophets describing what it means to receive the first comforter. The fact that there's so many different ways to describe it in the Book of Mormon, what that tells me is that the whole purpose of the Book of Mormon or the main theme of the Book of Mormon is to get us to the first comforter. Okay. So we talked about broken heart, the first two. Third, endure to the end. There is not many descriptions of enduring to the end, especially in the Book of Mormon. When we get on that path, anytime you see straight and narrow path, it's something we're talking about this particular step, about enduring to the end, or feasting on the words of Christ. Once you've entered the gate, now the path to get to the second comfort, comforter can only be revealed to you by the Holy Ghost. So you do the same thing on that path that you did to receive the first comforter, which is to continue to offer up your broken heart and contrite spirit to the Lord and continue to seek him with faith, which means to seek after revelation from him about what your next steps are. And as he reveals those things to you, you act on them. That's how you're already used to the, how that works by getting to your first comforter. It's the same thing to continue on to the second comforter. But again, there's not a lot of words to describe that particular step. And my personal feeling is, is because although the Book of Mormon wants to tell us the full doctrine of Christ, what it takes to get to Zion, what it takes to see the face of the Lord, its main job is to get us to the first comforter. And then you go on with the Lord from there to figure out what you have to do to see his face. So second comforter, there are actually quite a few uh, words that describe the second comforter. Anytime it's talking about eternal life, saved or salvation, it took me a while to realize that redemption is part of the first comforter and salvation is part of the second comforter. Next, kingdom of God. Anytime it talks about the kingdom of God and entering into the kingdom of God or the right hand of God, all of that is referring to that experience of receiving the second comforter and then entering into his rest. One of my favorite descriptions of the second comforter, entering into his rest. So I hope I'm going to leave this up on the screen now that we have our chance to go into 3rd Nephi chapter 11. And we're just going to read through that chapter, and I'm going to show you how I do it, looking for these four steps. Now, what I'm hoping you'll do is figure out your next step. Where are you? Are you just entering the covenant? Are you exercising faith and repentance and looking for the baptism of water and offering up, you know, being meek and seeking revelation from the Lord? Or have you already received your first comforter and are, and are searching for the second comforter? Listen to the words of Christ in this chapter. And as you see these four steps come about, listen for what the Spirit is teaching you 
or telling you is your next step. Here we go. Third Nephi chapter 11. And again, I'll keep this on the screen. When, when we read the scriptures as a family, I have the kids raise their hand when they hear one of these steps. And if they miss one, I just sort of pause with this look in my face. And then they all raise their hand like, it's one of them. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But I guess you won't be able to do that on this particular call. But here we go. Chapter 11, 3 Nephi, verse 1. And now it came to pass, there was a great multitude gathered together of the people of Nephi, round about the temple, which was in the land bountiful. And they were marveling and wondering one with another, and were showing to one another the great and marvelous change which had taken place. Just in case you were wondering, I didn't see anything in that verse so far. And they were also conversing about this Jesus Christ, of whom the sign had been given concerning his death. All right, that's could be part of broken heart and contrite spirit. You know, if they one of the in the baptism of water, what are we promised to do? Always remember him. So if they're gathered around talking about him, that's a real good sign that they've entered the covenant. Verse three, and it came to pass while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, inasmuch as that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yet it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. Now, I've as I've discussed the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with many people, a lot of people think that that's, you know, a, the, they refer to it simply as the baptism of fire. They don't add on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if you've received your baptism of fire, that's this baptism. And we often have to correct them and say, no, there's a difference between the baptism of fire and the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. You can have many baptisms of fire throughout your life, but only one baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. And they say, where do you see an example of that? And this is a good example in verse 3, that it did cause their hearts to burn. That sounds like the language of a baptism of fire. But we know those people were not yet receiving the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost because that doesn't happen until a few chapters later. So this is a great example to show that difference. Next, came to pass again, they heard the voice and they understood it not. Now that's interesting. When we're talking to our friends and our family and our neighbors about the doctrine of Christ, if they don't want to hear it, there's not a whole lot we can do. There's just no words and no experiences that we're going to be able to share to get them to change their mind, it seems. However, if they've heard the voice, if they've heard the voice speak to them at some point in their life, and especially if they acted on that voice, now you've got a chance. You know, and most people have heard the voice. If they've heard it and just rejected it their whole life, it's going to be hard. But if they've heard it and listened to it and followed it, then they have a chance because you can teach them this and say, listen to what that voice is saying to you. That voice 
is pointing you to the doctrine of Christ. It always is pointing us to how to get back to the Lord. So unfortunately, they didn't understand the voice just yet. But in verse 5, it says, And again, the third time they did hear the voice and did open their ears to hear it. What does that mean to open their ears? That's got to be in broken heart and contrite spirit. That's got to be. They finally humbled themselves enough to say, what is this voice? We want to understand what this means. And they did open their ears to hear it, and their eyes were toward the sound thereof. And they did look steadfastly towards heaven from when the sound came. That is broken heart and contrite spirit. When you hear the voice, open your ears and look to the source of the voice. Because it'll be the words of Christ. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard, and it said unto them, again, this is still step one, broken heart and contrite spirit. Because you have to call out to the Lord. You can't just wait for the voice. You have to call out to the Lord and ask him what to do. And if you don't have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, a, you might not hear the answer, or B, you might not you might hear it, but not understand it. And C, even if you hear it and understand it, if you're not humble enough, you won't follow it. It's critical, the first step. It's critical to have a broken heart and contrite spirit. And that's been reiterated how many times in these few verses. Verse 7, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. Another one of the beautiful times where we get to hear the voice of the Father, introducing his Son. He testifies of his Son. His Son testifies of him. The voice of the Spirit testifies of both of them. Came to pass, verse 8, As they understood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven, and behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven. He was clothed in a white robe, and he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him, and they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant, for they thought it was an angel that appeared unto them. It came to pass that he stretched forth his hand and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. Behold, I am the light and the life of the world. And I... What is the life? He is the life. Man, that just struck me that that could be a second comforter reference. I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. It came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, the whole multitude fell to the earth. Absolutely. What is that? What is bowing before the Lord, if not offering him your broken heart and contrite spirit? For they remembered that it had been prophesied among them that Christ should show himself unto them after his ascension into heaven. came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Hear the voice of the Lord now. When When I put come unto Christ in that first step, it means hear the voice of the Lord. He is constantly calling out to us and reaching out to us. You, in order to enter that covenant, yeah, you have to humble yourself. 
Arise and come forth unto me, that you may thrust your hands into my side, also that you may fill the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that you may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. It came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side, did fill the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet, and this they did do, going forth one by one, till they had all gone forth. And did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record that it was he of whom it should be written by the prophets that should come. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. For me, that description adds to my desire to receive the second comforter. I don't know if you've ever pictured that in your mind, what that must have been like. You know, the awe that they must have had in their hearts as they kneeled down and saw and realized this wasn't just an angel. This was indeed Jesus Christ. Yeah, I look, I look forward to that day. It came to pass that he, the Lord, spake unto Nephi. We're in verse 18 now. For Nephi was among the multitude, and he commanded him that he should come forth. Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself right back down (laughs) to the Lord's feet, and he kissed his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise, and he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended into heaven. Well, That's step one. That's the baptism of water. And again, now start paying attention really close if you weren't already. Because the Lord is teaching us the doctrine of Christ and its purity. And this particular verses have not been corrupted by the church, the abominable church. There may be people who have taught you about the Book of Mormon in the past and corrupted these verses to you. But if you read the Book of Mormon on your own and you have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, you can see the steps of the doctrine of Christ yourself. No one can take that from you. Verse 22, And again the Lord called others and said unto them likewise, and he gave unto them power to baptize. This is the baptism of water. And he said unto them, On this wise shall you baptize, and there shall be no disputations among you. There are many people out there that understand different portions of the doctrine of Christ. Today, that understand the doctrine of Christ, but they all seem to believe different tenets outside of these basic beliefs. And it causes a lot of arguments. My message to them is who cares about the tenets? Let's agree on the doctrine of Christ. There's no way we can ever be one if we're all supposed to agree on the tenets. It won't happen. But we can be one on the doctrine of Christ. And the Lord says, I'm teaching you this, the doctrine of Christ, so that there will be no disputations among you. 
Verse 23, Verily I say unto you, that whoso repenteth of his sins through your words and desireth to be baptized in my name, on this wise shall you baptize them. Behold, you shall go down and stand in the water, and in my name shall you baptize them. Step one, all over in this verse. Whoso repenteth of his sins through your words and desires to be baptized. How do you repent? We'll talk about that a whole lot more in future uh, Tuesday night Doctrine of Christ meetings. But it's really hard to repent without being able to speak to the Lord yourself and receive His commandments to you. It is following His commandments to you that that is what repenting is. And it will bring you to Him. He knows the steps for you specifically to come back to Him. So if you find someone who has repented of their sins, they know how to receive commandments from the Lord, and they follow those commandments. And those commandments are usually something to do with idols in your life that you've placed between you and the Lord, and the Lord wants you to remove them so that you can hear His voice more clearly. And once you've removed all of those idols, you've repented. Then, if you desire to be baptized by water, which is to say, Lord, I promise that I will keep your commandments and always remember you for the rest of my life. Then you can go baptize them in water. Now behold, in verse 24, now behold, these are the words which he shall say, calling them by name, saying, having authority given me of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then shall ye immerse them in the water and come forth again out of the water. We know this first step well. We know it requires baptism of water. We have the exact words that must be uttered and how it is to be done. The Lord made this very clear. Verse 27, And after this manner shall ye baptize in my name. For behold, verily I send to you that the Father... And the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. And I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. And according as I have commanded you, thus shall ye baptize. And there shall be no disputations among you, as there hitherto have been. Neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine. Now, the Lord refers to the words, my doctrine, I believe seven times in this chapter. Nephi in 31 calls it the doctrine of Christ two or three times. But the Lord, only the Lord can say, this is my doctrine. And he repeats it again and again. I don't want you to have disputations about this. I don't want you to ruin these steps. They are clean. They are pure. If you follow them, you can return to me. If you mess them up for your own desires, then people will be led into darkness because of it. Don't dispute about what I am teaching you. Verse 29, For verily, verily, I send to you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Let's all agree as a group, to help each other get to the first comforter, to not contend on the tenets. Let's get to the first comforter. It truly is a path between just you and the Lord, 
but we can support each other. We can encourage each other and increase each other's belief and talk to each other about faith and about repentance instead of fighting about the tenets and about who believes this and about who believes that. Let's just stick to the doctrine of Christ, and this is what will bring people to us. If the Lord can trust us to teach his doctrine in its purity, he, without a doubt, will send people across your path. Don't add your own stuff into it. Don't manipulate it. Don't take things out. Just speak his words. When you understand these four steps, do the work to go study the scriptures and find them. Because there's many different ways to say these steps, but it's the same steps again and again. And it's given 20 different prophets in the Book of Mormon teach this doctrine. And it's great because each of them describes it a little bit differently. And each one of them gives you and your friends a chance to, that something clicks that didn't click before. Let's go on. Verse 30, behold, this is not my, do- this is interesting. Behold, this is not my doctrine to stir up the hearts of men with anger one against another. But this is my doctrine that such things should be done away. There is someone's doctrine that it's to stir men's hearts in anger against one another. We'll go through that doctrine, which is the doctrine of the devils, in a different call or a different Zoom meeting. 31, behold, verily, verily, I send you, I will declare unto you my doctrine. This is the doctrine of Christ. And this is my doctrine. See how many times he says it a lot. And this is my doctrine. And it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me. Do you remember that first slide back from Third Nephi or Second Nephi 31 that we heard the Father's voice where he said, Repent ye and be baptized? Indeed, the Father is the author of this doctrine. And I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me, and I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. What's repent and believe in me? Both part of step one. And whoso believeth me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, which baptism is that? If afterwards you are saved and inherit the kingdom of God. Look on my list. Where's saved and where's kingdom of God? That's second comforter language. Hopefully everybody's in that's trying to get in. Okay, we are in 3 Nephi chapter 11, verse 33. And whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, which baptism is that? That must be all three baptisms. The baptism of the water, the baptism of fire, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because you have to have all of them if you're going to receive the second comforter. And whoso believeth not in me and is not baptized shall be damned. Verse 35. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father, because it's really the Father's doctrine. And whoso believeth in me believeth in the Father also, and unto him will the Father bear record of me. For he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. There it is. First comforter. How many times have you read that verse in your life, but didn't know that that was talking about the first comforter? 
How could we have the Book of Mormon our whole life and not been taught the doctrine of Christ? It was in front of our faces. Did those people who teach us, you know, were they willfully blind? Or was it just the traditions that they were following? When did this get corrupted? Since when Joseph Smith brought the Book of Mormon forth. How did we miss how clear it is right there in this chapter? <clears throat> and thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the Father and me. For the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. And again I say unto you, ye must repent, become as a little child, and be baptized in my name, or you can in no wise receive these things. How do we enter into the new comforter? We must offer him our broken heart and contrite spirit. In verse 37, that is to become as a little child. You know how a little child is. They come to you with such hope, and such wide eyes. They'll believe anything that you tell them and ask many questions. And they're humble. Verse 38, and again I say unto you, you must repent. He says repent a lot. I'm going to go over that one more time. In order to repent, we must first seek the Lord. You can't go to the arm of flesh and ask them how to repent. It won't work. You know, I once, probably 15 years ago, got this idea to go through the entire Book of Mormon and underline every single commandment so that I could follow all of them. And after I got about halfway through, like half of the Book of Mormon, the whole thing was read, it seemed. And the Spirit said, stop. I hope you've learned your lesson. And I was like, what does this mean? And then the Spirit was teaching me to follow the Spirit. You don't have to go through and underline every commandment in the, in the Book of Mormon. Follow the Spirit. Read the Book of Mormon, study it, let those words be in your mind, but be guided by the Spirit, which commandment that you need to follow today. If you get down on your knees tonight and pray and ask the Lord what you need to do, I feel confident in promising you He's not going to give you 500 commandments tonight. He's going to give you the one, or at least one, maybe more, that will most likely continue to move you down this path. And chances are, it's going to be a little bit hard. It's going to be difficult. And you'll wonder, did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? That can't be what he asked me to do. And in fact, humble yourself and listen. And you can ask for a confirmation. Listen to his word. And then think about the thing that the commandment that he gave you. And what would it do if you followed it? Would it bring you closer to him, even if it's hard? Because all commandments he gives you bring you closer to him. Now, that doesn't mean you always see how that's going to happen. But a lot of times when you think it through, especially when you're humble, you'll see. Yes, I can see that commandment is going to be a good thing. And move me forward on the path. So to repent, you must exercise faith first. To pray unto God and ask Him to reveal to you what you need to do. 
and then you repent by following that thing. And this is a pattern you can't give up ever. Every night, every night, Lord, what do I need to do to follow your will, not my own? If you develop the faith to be able to receive those answers and continue to act on them, then I don't worry about when you're going to receive the first comforter or when you're going to receive the second comforter. I know you'll be on the path and those things will happen as the Lord wants them to happen. Your part of this covenant is step one, to offer the broken heart and contrite spirit. Let's finish out the chapter 39. Verily, verily, I send you that this is my doctrine. Whoso buildeth upon this, buildeth upon my rock. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. If you can go to the Lord and you can ask him what you're supposed to be doing, and you know his voice and you follow it, and then you've developed the faith to be able to do that, then the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. You'll know what they sound like. You'll know that the things that they're trying to convince you to do will all be for the reason to knock you off of this path. People will come and try to convince you there is no need to seek for the first comforter. You've already received it when you were baptized at eight and had your confirmation. There's no need to seek for the second comforter in this life. That's something that happens only to the great of the great prophets or it happens after this life. And if you've heard the voice of the Lord and you have acted on that, you can say, no, I understand the doctrine of Christ. It is his promise to us that if we make this oath and follow it through, that he promises us with these two comforters. And there are 20 prophets in the Book of Mormon that say it's this life. And they would all argue with anyone that said it's not for this life. It is indeed for this life. And it's the same promise he's made to all of us since the beginning. Getting a little excited. I like the doctrine of Christ. Verse 40. And whoso shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation. And the gates of hell stand upon to receive such when the floods come and the winds beat upon them. Therefore go forth unto this people and declare the words which I have spoken unto the ends of the earth. Yeah, when you understand what the doctrine of Christ is, it becomes your duty to to teach the next person. If you ask people today that don't understand the doctrine of Christ but have access to the Book of Mormon, what is the gospel? They are going to rattle off a list of stuff that make you crazy. And you say, well, the Book of Mormon said it has the fullness of gospel, and all those things you're mentioning aren't in the Book of Mormon. And I say, well... You know, they have many excuses for that. A live prophet's better than a dead one. Or it's in there, you just can't tell. And I'm like, you know, I believed that my whole life. And maybe that stuff, I hope that all wasn't a complete waste of time. The things that I did outside of the doctrine of Christ. I mean, I used to believe that if I put up enough chairs at events and helped enough people move, that I'd be good to go. Because that seemed to be my only <laughs> But there's no chairs and there's no moving (laughs) in the doctrine of Christ. There's no one that can do this for us. And there's no one that can come and promise you, just follow me and you're going to be fine. There's only one keeper of the gate, and that's the Lord. He's the only one that you can go to. He knows your heart. You cannot fake your way past him. 
He knows if you've sought him, you'll know his voice. You'll know how he speaks. I conclude my portion of this meeting tonight by bearing my testimony of the Savior. This is how I have come to know him, is through his doctrine. Like all of you, I've entered that covenant, or like most of you, I've entered that covenant and said, Lord, I'll put anything on the altar. Ask anything of me, no matter how hard it is, and I will give it to you. And so he's given me multiple hard steps. And I had to work through those steps with his help all along. I know how he asks. I know how he helps. I 100% trust that the commandments that he gives us lead us further on this path, even if I don't fully understand them when I receive them. I pray for each of you. We're all friends here. We're all trying to get onto this path. And those of us that are already on this path are looking back to help us. Those of us who haven't received the first comforter yet. And when we all receive it, and even before you receive it, we're going to go teach this doctrine to the rest of the world, to whoever will hear it, to say it's simple. It's beautiful. It's been in the Bible since Genesis that we can enter into this covenant and come back into the Lord's presence. I hope that each of you have new eyes when you study the scriptures going forth from today on. I hope every chapter that you read, you can see the components of the doctrine of Christ in that chapter. I hope wherever you are on your path tonight, that you've heard something that will help you get to the next step. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.